the Paracast with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Bietley. So Gene, uh, we're recording this on October 15th, this intro. So as far as I know, the channelers were all wrong. Huge surprise there. Oh yeah, I'm just amazingly surprised over that. <laughs> oh god. Nothing hanging over any part of the world as far as UFO stuff goes yesterday. And, and people are somehow surprised by this, as if this were a shock that nothing ended up floating over the earth. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, come on. How many times have we heard this kind of nonsense? How many times have we, I mean, you know, it's, it's, when we had that Eric Julian guy on, that French lunatic, <laughs> who had been predicting that this thing was going to hit this, uh, what, piece of a comet or something was going to hit the Atlantic and the entire eastern seaboard of the United States would be gone as well as Europe. And, you know, it didn't happen. The only thing that's gone is his logic. Do you remember when we had Hilly Rose on? He said that he would usually buy the supermarket tabloids with all the predictions and then do a show the following year to show how only like one-eighth of one percent ever came true. Yeah. Well, big shock there, right? And, and then to add to the entertainment value of all of this, I saw a thing on the Anomalist website that linked over to this guy, Mark Fizjim, Fishman, Fishman. I don't know how the heck to pronounce his last name, but this guy who uh, I guess published a thing on UFO Digest, a fine website, not of silly crap. <laughs> I mean, what can I say? Uh, here it's we go. It's called That's UFO that. Digest of Silly Crap. That's the full uh, name of the place, uh, by the UFO way. UFO Digestive Track. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, you know, the editor and publisher, Dirk Vanderplug, the guy who in UFO Magazine is another one of the people along with uh, Chippy Lemberg saying, Oh, Billy Meyer, it's the real deal. Paul Harris is right here. It's the real deal. Yeah, they're real. It's real crap. So on this website, you got the bomb. Excuse me. Go ahead. No problem. You were saying? Hi, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm Dick Vanderpolga, and this is my associate, Robert Evening Star. I mean, Chicken Star. And uh, we're, here we are presenting all the really interesting UFO news in the world. And then there's a... We, we've got a piece on here because, you know, when I want to laugh, Gene, I go over to UFO Digest and I look at the headlines and, and the junk on there and it just makes me laugh. That just makes me chuckle. And so we have a, a piece up, uh, I guess it was up yesterday afternoon. The Aliens Are Not Coming by Mark Fishman, who writes... I, I'm going to try to read this with a straight voice. I have just been informed by a very reliable source that the Federation of Light Spaceship, predicted to arrive today, will not in fact be making an appearance. And then he goes on to talk about how his, this guy apparently is also a, a, a channel, I can't say it's a straight face, he, he's a channeler. And he goes, uh... While most of you will be saddened by this news, rest assured that other aliens are on their way. And indeed, there are many already among us. Yeah, no kidding. The overwhelmingly positive response to a possible UFO event makes it clear what our common heart is seeking. And I tell you that the wait is almost over, but it does not end today. Tomorrow I will be presenting a message of hope from the Merkir, the advanced alien beams whom I am... <laughs> I can't even do this with a straight face. I'm also getting over sickness. Whom I serve. He serves uh, the Merkir. Merkir, I don't know. Wasn't that a car originally produced by Ford? The Mercury? No, there was something called the Marker or something like that, oh, a German it's a Ford. Mercure, it's a Mercure, it's a German uh, Mercury, uh, you know, it's a little bit of French. I don't know. I'm, 
I'm just getting over this head cold and chest cold, so uh, yeah, I'm coughing a little bit today. In short, basically, the problem is here that people frequently make predictions about UFO cases, about major events, and they never come true. Aren't we supposed never, to have some never. disclosure next never. year? Yeah, yeah. Never. Right. Listen, Jane, it's real simple. And uh, Stephen Bassett, if you're listening, the possibility, the percentage possibility of there being disclosure by the United States government of anything significant or interesting regarding UFOs would be 0.00%. Zero. None. There is going to be no disclosure. None. And by the time this airs, in fact, if you're listening to this now, I can tell you that yesterday I ended up having a little discussion with Stephen Bassett about this at the Culture of Contact event in lovely Jersey City that's now over. When you're listening to this, it will have been over already. But I'm telling you this before it even happens. I'm predicting the future, Gene. I predict that by the time you hear this, I will have had a major verbal tug-of-war with Stephen Bassett at the panel on Saturday evening at the Culture of Contact, where I will tell him in front of the audience, hey, Bassett, there will be no disclosure. No matter what you do, you could explode M-80s under the president's nose, and there will still be no disclosure. It is a fantasy that will not be coming true in the same way that all these channelers who are predicting that UFOs will be hovering over the Earth Sending Jolly Rancher candies down in mass to the humans to make them happy. This will never, ever happen. Ever. What about the UFO not sending us bagels and cream cheese? Uh, and that's, that's raisin bagels and cream cheese. A raisin bagel is not a bagel. That is a pastry, sir. Any bagel that has sweet stuff on it, like raisins or chocolate chips or cranberries, that is not a bagel. That is a donut. You are a purist. No, I'm a pragmatist. That's not... It's not a bagel, it's a donut. Well, I'll donut. tell you what, let's segue. Right. We had an announcement up on our website, and then we posted a special section in the Paracast forums at forum.theparacast.com, and it's called Your Personal Experiences Forum, where listeners like you, ladies and gentlemen, were given the chance to tell us what's happened to you and then have our other participants talk about it, and sometimes we'd get in and talk about it too. And we've gotten all sorts of great experiences, by the way. A number of really unusual experiences come from one of our listeners named Shani, mm -hmm. who will be coming up next on the Paracast. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Hi, this is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer to the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net, and we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications, and you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos and it's all for free or drop us a line mr ufo at webtv.net gene and i love to hear from our listeners if you'd like to share your thoughts with us 
Send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. Hey, let me tell you what. You're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? We have a nice listener, so, you know, all of a sudden I'm, like, all thrilled because it's not some self-important, uh, you know, paranormalist going, well, my thoughts about this are really the core of the entire field. Uh, and your wannabes, and uh, I have to make you impressed with what I've got to say. And please, Gene, go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm trying to make you impressed by the fact that we have a regular person here, and her name is Shani, Shani Thomas, and she is a regular participant in the Powercast forum. She's posted nearly 300 messages, and she's gotten oh. several thank yous for those messages too. Excellent. A few from me. So let me ask you the very simple question here. When you were a young girl, and you grew mm-hmm. up in Wales, right? I did, yes. Okay. I stood in Wales. Okay. When did you first get exposed to something weird, paranormal, or whatever? When I was about 12. That is the main memory I have of something very, very strange happening. That was basically, I woke up in the middle of the night and saw what can only be described as a UFO hovering over the field behind my house. Okay. What? Now, what part of... The country that you live. You lived in Wales. Is this a big city, a small town? What? It was a tiny little village of about 500 people at the time. Uh huh. And that was in southwest sh- Wales. Sure, go ahead. So you saw the UFO. It looked like. Basically, when I first woke up, I initially mistook it for the moon because it was this big sort of orange globe in the sky, basically. And when I took a closer look, it wasn't the moon at all. It was um, how can I describe it? Sort of like a light bulb shape and about 50% bigger than the moon. Could you tell how high up it was, Shawnee? I mean, uh, when you saw it, first, I mean, you, you woke up. Did some sense of it wake you up? Did you just wake up and see it out the window? I just woke up and saw it out the window. There was a, an electricity pole behind it, and it seemed to be around about the same height as the electricity pole. Although, obviously, you know, it's a bit hard to tell with well, lights in the sky at night. When you saw this, was the amount of light coming out of it consistent, or was it throbbing visually in any way? It was consistent. It was very bright orange light, much brighter than, say, the moon. It was almost like, um, I wouldn't quite say a searchlight or a spotlight, but it was getting close to that kind of luminosity, basically. But it wasn't like there was an obvious cone of light coming out of it, like a beam or anything. You're just saying in terms no. of it. No. Okay. There did seem to be some kind of structure behind it. When I was looking at it... I could just about discern something that looked kind of rectangular with a slightly curved underside, but I couldn't really see much of it simply because the glare at the front of whatever this was is quite intense. Hmm. But it just, for some reason, it wasn't illuminating what was behind it very well. I see. You got up and went over to the window. Was this moving at all in that time? Basically, what it started to do, it seemed to grow bigger. I wasn't sure if it had actually expanded in size or if it was getting closer, and being the brave little 12-year-old that I was, I literally just dived back into my bed and pulled the covers over my head. (laughs) (laughs) Not surprising. And so (laughs) how long did you actually look at it? 
oh, about two, three minutes. I mean, I was intrigued at first, but then when it started to expand, it really scared the living daylights out of me, to be honest. So you died back in the bed, and that was it? That was the end of that encounter? I just stayed there till daylight. I was too afraid to move. After that, a lot of strange things started to happen, sort of nighttime disturbances and stuff like that. It sounds a little bit strange, and I get a little bit uneasy talking about it, because people tend to think, oh, God, you know, what a load of nonsense. Just to be honest, well, I'm pretty cynical. You're on the Paracast, so we'll tell you when it's nonsense. But <laughs> don't, don't worry. Uh, you <laughs> have know, no fear. Here. We'll tell you when the nonsense is here. That almost <laughs> rhymed. That's a bad rhyme. That's a terrible rhyme. Okay, let's continue <laughs> with this. Okay, so you went under the covers and everything. And the, how long did this thing proceed before things got back to normal? Or did you just go to sleep eventually? I eventually went to sleep when I could hear rest of the family moving around in the house and you know general everyday noises starting to happen outside so I just went back to sleep then. Okay did anyone else in your family see anything? No they didn't see that one no I was the only one actually in in a bedroom that faced that particular way so uh -huh. I would have been the only person who could have seen it from there. Did you tell your family hey look what I saw last night or, or what? Yeah I got laughed at. <laughs> Most definitely got laughed at. Oh, okay. They figured maybe you were dreaming or something? I think so, yes, yes. But this is only the first time you had other encounters? I have, yes, yes. Okay, so what happened then? Well, it was just within months, basically, I started having experiences where I'd wake up, and I know that I was awake. I wasn't actually suffering sleep paralysis or anything like that. I would actually literally feel something grabbing me and seizing me. I have difficulty breathing, I feel a lot of pressure on me, which admittedly does sound like sleep paralysis. This is going to sound really, really silly now, but one night something poked something into one of my ears and I thought, oh my God, what's this? And just little things, just getting woken up at night with something pressing on me, something pulling me around, and just generally having the sense that I was under attack from something. But you couldn't see anything? I couldn't see anything, though. I was okay. too afraid to look, to be honest. It was a head-under-the-covers thing again. But one night, I absolutely utterly had enough, and I hit out something, and I literally did make contact with something. It just felt like... Well, to be honest, though, the only way I can describe it is felt like sort of punching a balloon full of water. Hmm. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do, yes, yes. Did, were they sharing the room with you, or did you each have your own room? No, I had my own room at the time. Was anybody else in the family uh, sharing these particular types of encounters with you? Um, my mum, she actually saw something because I kept complaining to her all the time about all these strange things that were happening to me. And of course, she was just laughing at me. She didn't believe it. And then one night, she actually saw something herself, just basically a blue searchlight searching the field behind the house. I didn't see that, unfortunately. But my mum told me about it the next day. Well, but that conceivably could be some sort of a man-made light. Potentially, so could be yes. yes. In other words, nobody else in the house was having these types of experiences, being you know, with these physical interactions, where no. you could see what was going on. But at the same time, you said that you didn't look, so there could have been something look. there. So, but you you wouldn't have seen it because you didn't look. I would have no. <laughs> right. Probably one of the worst witnesses to paranormal phenomena you'll ever come across. Too scared to look. Well, no, you were a teenager or just barely a teenager, and we didn't expect you to be super brave in the face of something that was unknown. Okay, how long did this process continue where you were compressed, pressed, touched, whatever, probed by something? It would go on for about a good five minutes, and I would actually be trying to fight it mentally as if 
it's hard to explain. It's, it's as, if, as if I was engaged in some kind of battle with it, just as if something was trying to impose its will on me. That's the only way I can really describe it. Now, you're basically saying that there were two levels of interaction then, that there was a physical interaction initiated by whatever this was, but then you also right. felt what might have been some sort of psychic impression from it? Possibly, possibly, yes. Unless, I mean, obviously, as you can appreciate, I was scared witless, so maybe, I don't even know if I could have possibly gone into some kind of weird psychological funk out of complete fear, you know, and just felt like I was being manipulated in some kind of way because obviously I was aware that there was something strange there. It's something I really don't understand to this day. Now, how long did this series of events occur where you had these nighttime experiences? It went on until I was about 16 or 17, and then shortly after then I left home. And after getting out of that house, I just didn't have that kind of nighttime disturbance again. Not the actual sort of feeling something pressing on me and just basically getting a bit nasty with me. Now, when you say a bit nasty, I mean, uh, are you talking about, did you feel that you were in any kind of severe physical jeopardy or danger? I felt it. Whether I was or not, obviously, it's hard to tell. But mm -hmm. Just the sense that something was trying to impose its will on me and was physically holding me. And at one point, I, well, at one time I used to hear strange little noises in the room, like gruff little voices, but I couldn't quite work out what was being said. Hmm. This home that you were in, was this a very old home? Did it have any kind of history of hauntings? Uh, no, no. It was built in the early 1950s, and my family were the first people to actually live there. Hmm. Okay, and once so again, you were the only one who was having this encounter. Or serious I was, encounters. Yeah. Okay. Now, after the initial set of encounters, how did your family react to this ongoing set of experiences? Oh, they were just used to laugh at me and say, oh, you're having another nightmare. I'd be saying, no, I was awake. <laughs> But they just really didn't know how to react because I was so adamant that something was happening. To be honest, I think probably my mum was a little bit freaked out herself. But she couldn't quite understand why I was, you know, insisting that this was happening because otherwise I was a pretty regular, sort of well-adjusted, happy teenager. But apart from this one thing that kept happening. All right. But you said when you moved from that place, when you left mm -hmm. home, the experience had stopped. That particular type of experience stopped, yes. Then what started? Um, I had peace for quite a long time. We're talking a good five, six years where nothing strange happened at all. And then there was a, the incident that I posted actually on the Paracast forums about the ring on the doorbell at night. Well, a lot of people who listen to the show don't necessarily mm -hmm. read the forums. So, so let's go into oh, this. Oh, I see. So, yeah. Basically, one night there was a ring on my doorbell about three o'clock in the morning. Now, where were you living at this? Give us some background. I was, living? I was living in in the Uplands area of Swansea, not too far away from where I actually live now. When I woke up, I was really, really cross because I was sharing a house at the time, and I told people, please do not ring my doorbell if you call around really late because you're going to disturb other people. Mm -hmm. So I got up out of bed, pretty cross, thinking, oh, God, you know, I'm in trouble now for waking other people up. went to look out the window, and I started to feel everything slowing down. That was the only way I can describe it. Like, a, as I was approaching the window, it was almost like trying to push through thick jelly just to get there. Mm. I looked out and there was a figure down below, which at first I assumed was somebody that I knew. I'll call her Heather because I don't want to give her no real name without her permission. Sure. sure. I looked out the window. There was this girl, Heather, standing there. And I thought, oh, you know, this isn't right. There is something not right about this. 
I just felt really strange. And I remember thinking, that's not Heather, that is not her. This figure was sort of gesticulating, sort of pointing towards the window, pointing towards the door, making really strange, jerky movements, as if it was trying to say, let me in, let me in. The one thing that sounds silly, the one thing that made me realise that this was not Heather, was she was wearing a pair of boots that I knew she'd thrown away several weeks before. And I just sort of like, oh. So, so wait, now you're saying that this definitely looked like your friend, so it, it was... Yeah. It looked like her, but you're saying it wasn't her. It wasn't her. Okay. So you say you were looking down, so were you like on a second floor looking out the window down? That's right, yes. Out of a big bay window down to what's the front door, basically. Okay, so you're looking down, you're seeing someone who looks kind of like Heather, but isn't mm -hmm. Heather, but it mm -hmm. was human, right? Yeah. To okay. all, all intents and purposes, yes. All intents and purposes. Like <laughs> well, yeah, it was... Okay, so it's someone was wearing what looked like boots that Heather had thrown away a couple of weeks earlier. That's right, yes. Okay, could it have been somebody who just picked up that and maybe was trying to play some mischievous game or something? Um, no, I don't see how, because how could they look like Heather? So, well, let, let's, let's follow this through. So what did you do as you're looking down? What happened? Um, basically, this figure was... As I explained, doing all this while gesticulating. It wasn't like the normal behavior of a person wanting to be let in. This thing was frantic, absolutely frantic, as if it had to get in. Mm -hmm. And basically, I had this, as I explained, I had this really, really strange feeling of just pushing through heavy jelly. Everything seemed to be really slowed down. My whole body basically felt very much like somebody who, much of that feeling you get when you go to the dentist and your jaw is all numb. My whole body had that feeling. Okay, so this overcame you as you were looking out the window, as you were seeing someone who kind of looked like Heather wearing boots and gesticulating. Yeah. Okay. That's right, yes. Okay. Hey, neighbors. The easiest online meeting service, GoToMeeting, just got easier. If you haven't tried GoToMeeting, now's the time, because the new version of GoToMeeting has fully integrated voice over IP. With this new total audio feature, you have more audio options by being able to conference through a phone or the web, save time, save money, and be more efficient. Hold an online meeting with GoToMeeting. Try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts. That's GoToMeeting.com slash podcasts for a free trial. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the podcast. talking, by the way, on the Paracast with Shani Thomas, and she is someone who has undergone a number of paranormal-type experiences, reported in the Paracast forums at forum.theparacast.com, and so we invited her to join us to tell us what was going on. Now, how long did you see this person, and did they make any further effort to try to get in? I basically managed to sort of 
free myself from whatever this heavy feeling was. And I just started shaking my head, saying, no, no, you're not Heather, go away, go away. Or actually something a bit stronger than go away, but rather frightened. And then this whole figure, as bizarre as it sounds, it started to spin really rapidly and just shot straight across the road then shot straight up the road at a 90-degree angle and off onto another street and just completely disappeared. A shot, like, ran or slid or what? Just shot across. Not ran, just literally as if it was, I don't know, fired from a gun or something, just went straight across the road, stopped, still in a blurred state, and just did a 90-degree turn straight up the road, came to a junction, took another 90-degree turn, and I lost it then behind some houses. It started spinning... Mm-hmm. In front of your house, let's get some, I want to see if we understand a few things here. Let's set the stage so visually it's more obvious for our mm-hmm. listeners what's going on. Okay. It's middle of the night, so it's dark mm-hmm. out, obviously. Was there a light above the door where you had some amount of, of light to see some detail? No, but it was a very well-lit street, so the you know, house was very, very close to the, the roadside, so street lights illuminated the scene pretty well. Okay. When this thing starts spinning, did its Mm -hmm. luminosity change at all? Or was it just now a dark blur, a spinning blur? Was there any kind of uh, illumination coming from it? Yeah, there was. It was um, like a silvery color. It's almost like a a vortex. It's like looking at a small twister or or tornado or something like that, but just very, very small. Now, let me be specific. When I say, was there any illumination coming from it? Like when you do 3D stuff, you learn that one of the attributes you can give material is a thing Mm -hmm. called self-illumination, as if something were were glowing, basically. I've got you. A change of, uh, say, energy state. All right. So Mm -hmm. so did you see something like that? I mean, if you had to describe this, I mean, you say it's silvery, but that doesn't necessarily connotate that there was any kind of a, a luminosity coming from this thing. Yeah, there was a silver luminosity coming from it, and when it was actually in that state, there was no sign of the of the figure of the person inside. It was just this spinning, glowing thing. Hmm. When it shot across the road and stopped, did the luminosity change at all? No, no. Okay, and when it, when you say it stopped, it stopped moving its position, but it was still spinning the whole time after. That's right. Yes. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So you watch this happen, you watch this thing sort of spin away, go up the street and, and go behind some buildings. Mm-hmm. What was your reaction at that point? I just ran, turned all the lights on, just absolutely horrified. I just, you know, frightened like my wits. I was thinking, my God, did I dream that? Did that just happen? What was it? No, it was just really, I just didn't know what to do, to be honest, apart from turning on all the lights and just huddle up in my bed. At what point did the feeling of, uh, let's say, altered reality, this gelatinous state of trying to move through gelatin, at what point did that subside? It started to subside when I was able to tell it to go away. And then as soon as it was out of sight, that was gone. Did you make any connection in your mind between this episode and the situation when you were much younger, having this thing poke you? Was there any kind of connection your mind between those things? Not really, no, not at the time. I just didn't associate the two till much later when I actually sat down and started to list, you know, some of the strange things that actually happened to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, my gosh, you know, is there a connection here or not? Let's now move beyond this episode. Let's go mm-hmm. to a next episode. So you had this happen. Tell us what the next episode would be. Right, the next episode then was just 
nothing too spectacular, really. It was just simply, a, well, it was a UFO sighting. But when I say UFO, I mean it in the literal sense of unidentified flying object. All right. Um, basically, I was coming home from work about 10 years ago. No, it was less than that. About eight years ago. I was walking along the street, and above the houses, there was a big red light. A kind of red that you'd associate with an LED indicator light. Okay. I looked at that, and it seemed to split into two, into two big red lights, although that could have been, you know, misconception on my part. It could have just been another light coming on alongside the first one or something like that. But two girls walking along the street also saw it, and they, they ran off. They were frightened, but I just didn't know what to make of it. I really didn't know what to make of that. I actually reported that to the UK UFO magazine that's no longer in print, mm. and they did a little article on it. Really? So, mm-hmm. so yeah. give us give us a little more detail. How far were these things from you? How big were they? How were they moving? It wasn't moving at all, apart from when the object seemed to split into two. It was, if I can explain, I live in a very steep hill over a bay, and the sea's about oh, a kilometre away, and this was actually over the bay. This was over water then? Okay. It was over water, yeah, but close to the, very close to the coastline. Okay. How big were these lights? Um, so if you extend your arm right out, I'd say they were about the size of a thumbnail. Okay. It started as one light, then you notice it's separating mm-hmm. into two. That that connotates some kind of movement. That, that's right, yes, yes. Okay. You're right. <laughs> well, again, you know, I, let's just be specific here. Let's okay. say you're telling this to a police officer trying to explain in, in detail what happened. Okay. Right. So, like, relive this in your mind, if you would, uh, so we can be there with you. Okay, I was walking along the street, it must have been about 6 o'clock in the evening. It was February, so it was dark at that time. I didn't notice it to begin with. I first heard one of the girls say, oh, my God, what's that? So I looked up, and that's when I first saw it, and saw a big red light in the sky, and I just thought, oh, interesting, but, you know, probably a perfectly rational explanation for it. And the next thing I know, it just seemed to split into two. And I just thought, oh my god, that, that is a little bit strange. Just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit, yeah. Um, there was no sound with it. I, you know, okay. Listened. When I realized there was no sound with it as well, I just thought, right, I want to get home as fast as I can. I was very close to home, and I just got there as fast as I could, basically. So you never saw these things really move away, move closer, no. further. None of, nothing like that happened? No, but when I got into the house, I just basically ran upstairs, looked out the window, and I couldn't see anything. Mm. Whatever it was was gone or turned, turned its lights off or whatever. Besides these other two girls, when you called us into this UFO magazine, uh, did they mm-hmm. mention that anybody else had, had reported seeing this? There had been objects seen in, in the area, not specifically on that day, but similar objects had been seen. I think it was at the beginning of 2001, and quite a few objects were seen in the area and out on the nearby peninsula as well, around about the same kind of time scale. Any military installations anywhere near this area? Not very near. I mean, there is one about 40 miles away, so it could possibly have been military, although I can't quite imagine what they'd have that would sort of split into two lights. (laughs) All right, well, okay, how long was this in view for again? I only saw it for about two or three minutes as I was walking along the street to get to my house. Okay. And 
you reported to this magazine, did they did. have someone come over and talk to you or call you, or did you just send the report? I just sent the report in and they put it into their magazine, basically. They, they had um, a young man who worked with them for a little while. He was from my hometown, and he basically wrote an article about all the various sightings that had been locally at that time, and he included mine in it. Okay, so yours was one of the cases. Did anyone ever try to give you a specific reason or cause for this? No, no. I, mean, I would have loved to have, you know, actually had some kind of explanation or just the chance to discuss it with somebody, but unfortunately that just didn't happen at the time. Okay, so you were kind of left on your lonesome there. Nobody really mm -hmm. helped you try to figure out what was going on. No, no. Okay, all right. Now, was this the most recent sighting, or were there others? I did see a black, oh, sorry, a black triangular object okay. back in February of this year. Yeah, but whether that was military again, I really don't know. Okay, black triangle in the sense of it's triangular shaped, it's mm -hmm. black, or some kind of wedge shaped, or, or what? Uh, basically, I saw it at dusk, so it wasn't quite dark. First thing I noticed were lights approaching. And then as it came overhead, it had the classic sort of three lights, one at each corner of the triangle, central light in the middle. And I could basically see the outline of a craft that seemed triangular. Whether it was an aeroplane, I really don't know. Did you get a but, sense of how big it was? Um, it looked about the size of, not quite as big as an airliner, but about the size of quite a large military craft. It wasn't, it was much bigger than, say, a fighter plane or something like that. Sound? Noise? I could hear noise of aircraft, but there were aircraft in the area at the time as well, so whether the noise was coming from that, I really couldn't say. All right, so give us a little bit of the context here. What were you doing? Where exactly were you? I was actually walking down my garden path at the time. I'd just come home, mm -hmm. just walking along, and I could see this thing approaching. I initially just saw an aeroplane, and I thought, oh, God, it's got three lights in a triangular configuration. I'm just standing there laughing, saying, no, it can't be, it can't be. And it drew closer, and the triangular configuration is still very clearly visible. And of course, as it got overhead, then, I could actually see the shape of it as well. Just very, very faintly against sort of the dusk sky. Okay, now, w when you say it got overhead, so you were watching it move through the sky? That's right, I watched it come from, from the west, and it was heading east. All right. Would you compare its speed with that of a conventional aircraft? Yes, I would, yes. Hmm. It, was sl it was basically slower than an airliner, but still, you know, there was nothing unusual about the way it moved at all. It didn't hover or anything like that. All right. Now, when people hear and see aircraft, right, of course you have mm -hmm. the Doppler effect. So. You, you very often will, will see it before you hear it, and then as, it, let's say, it's passing overhead, you'll hear the pitch uh, sort of increase in pitch as it's getting close to you, and then as it's moving away, you okay. would hear the pitch decrease, okay? That would very much separate it from anything else that might be in the sky. So I'll ask right. you a question again. When you heard the sound, did you hear the kind of sounds that this would be making if it were an aircraft passing over you, can you attribute the sound you heard to something like that or, or, or not? The only aircraft sound I heard was after the, the triangular thing had actually passed me. It you know, tra traveled quite a bit ahead when I, when I first heard the aircraft sound. So whether that's consistent with aircraft or not, I'm, you know, 
I don't know. Mm. Now, it just kept going in a straight direction, or what kind of maneuvers yeah. did it do? Okay, straight, and then it just disappeared eventually, or what? It just carried on until it got smaller and smaller and eventually receded. Now, let's look at the sound again. Would you mm -hmm. say that sounded like a regular aircraft to you? It was a very deep, throbbing sound. Okay. It didn't sound like a passenger jet. What about a helicopter? No, it didn't sound like a helicopter at all. Okay. So, here's a question, Johnny. Mm -hmm. Had you ever, let's gauge your interest in the topic and figure mm -hmm. out what kind of uh, information you brought to the table. Uh, had you read okay. about these triangular craft? Had you, had, you, had you been aware of them before you'd seen this? Yes, I have been, but to be honest with you, I just didn't believe they existed. <laughs> or if they did, that they were military or something like that. To be honest, I still don't know what to make of it. So you could consider the possibility here that this might have been a military craft of some kind, that it was not something from elsewhere. Before we get into the answer to that question... Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest on all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. We're talking to Shani Thomas, and she is relating to us, I guess, a lifetime of unusual encounters, this one being a possible black triangle. But again, from what you tell me, it could have been just a conventional craft or a secret craft of some kind. Quite possibly, yes. But it's just the fact that it was that unusual triangular shape that really made me think, oh, is this something a bit strange? Also, it was flying blunt end onwards. So whether that was something unusual or not, I don't know. Come again on that? It was flying blunt end? Forwards. There were sort of two lights at the front, one on each side of a point. 
I don't know if that's clear or not. Let's try to clarify that more. Okay. So if, it, if it's a triangular shape, what you're saying is it wasn't a leading point, it was a leading no. side. It was a leading side, yes, that's correct. Uh-huh. Okay. And the, the, tr the configuration of the lights was one on each point? One on each point, orange-white on each point, and a central red one that was blinking on and off. Let's get more specific here. Uh, mm -hmm. Central red light, now again... Yeah, we're describing this to a police officer, so that then they're, they're sketching it, all right, okay. the, the sketch artist. So triangular shape, orange-white light on each point, and then a red light in the middle of this thing, underneath? That's right, yes. Although, when I say in the center, it was slightly off-center, towards the back of it. Okay, all right. Hmm. Now, the lights that you saw, did it flicker in a regular pattern like aircraft lights normally do? Yes, it did. I guess it did. We'd give a couple of sharp flashes, switch off, and another couple of sharp flashes, and that would be the kind of sequence. But it, but there was a cyclical nature to it. There was a sequence that repeated? Yes, there was, yes. Honestly, from what you're describing, it sounds like some mm -hmm. form of experimental craft to me. It, it yeah, really that, does. that is the feeling I had. That is the feeling I had, to be honest. Mm. That, I've yeah. described to a few people, and they've been going, oh, no, it was a UFO, it was a UFO, and... I'm thinking, nah, <laughs> just yeah. wasn't sure what to make of it at all. Yeah, well, that's, it sounds to me, at least, and, and I'm just like gauging this based on my intuition, what you're describing, especially with, with cyclical flashing lights. Right. Um, a lot of times when people see UFOs with lights, they describe something that very much does not look like a typical type of aviation light. That's right, yes, yeah. And also yeah. the fact that it may an audible sound, which is not mm -hmm. something you find that often with UFOs, and when you do, the sounds don't tend to be so normal. So, all right, mm -hmm. maybe this was conventional. Any other experiences in your lifetime that were not so conventional? Uh, yes, I lived in a house a few years ago, well, about 20 years ago. It was a shared student house, and it had a resident ghost. <laughs> mm, do tell. The people, well, when I moved in, some of the girls had already been living there a year, and they started telling me about this ghost. And I just fell around laughing. I just thought, what a load of nonsense, what a load of hysterical silliness. But one day, I was actually sitting in my room with the door open, looking towards the main living room. I could see a female figure walking around. I assumed that she was one of the other girls. Went out to talk to her, and just nothing. It completely vanished. And... Basically, I was on my own in the house. Now, you say you walked out of the room, it vanished. So you walked out and it was gone. You didn't see it vanish, right? No, I didn't, know. I saw it walk towards a corner of the room that wasn't visible from my door. And did it have... Did it? Was it just a dark shape or did it have detail? No, it had detail. It was a woman in what looked like a kind of dark blue, sort of all-in-one suit. Mm -hmm. She had brown curly hair back down to her shoulders and a kind of bob. I only saw the back of her. I just assumed it was one of the other girls in the house who had a similar hairstyle, but when I got there, there was absolutely nothing there. And that girl had been out all day. And basically what I saw fitted this description of what I'd been... Well, what a few of the other girls told me they'd actually seen as well. And was there a backstory to this? Did these girls know anything about a backstory of what this uh, ghost might have been? Who it might have been? Not that I'm aware of, No. They just didn't seem to understand. Well, just didn't seem to know at all. Just I a strange just character that hung out of a particular structure. <laughs> That's about it, yeah. Okay. No, I, only saw it, I only ever saw it the once. I didn't see it again. Could it have been someone playing a prank who 
put on some makeup or maybe wore strange clothes and wanted to fool people into thinking that, hey, I'm the ghost of this house. Here I am. No, because there was absolutely nowhere where they could have vanished to. Right, right. And there are no closets or anything like that that they could have gone and hidden in. Okay, so they walked to a corner of the room where there was no exit, and basically you were out right after you mm-hmm. saw them. That's so right. they, could, they couldn't, they weren't moving towards a door. They weren't moving towards an exit at all, no. So there was no time, as far as you could tell, for this person to have just walked out the door or gone into another room or something? No, because basically the room I was in, there was a hallway ahead and then the living room. And I was looking down the hallway towards the living room. I assumed it was this girl, so I went straight to talk to her. When I got there, absolutely nothing. And there's, you know, no way that that person could have actually got out of the house. Not without me seeing them anyway. Mm-hmm. Did you talk to any of your roommates about things they may have seen? Yes. They also said that they'd seen a woman in dark blue. Oh, really? That was a corroborating point. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Same sort of uh, physical description besides just the dark blue dress? As far as I understand, they all seem to focus just on the, on the dark blue clothing. Hmm. How often did you hear about this kind of thing? Like every week, every night, what? At one point, I, it was practically every night. I think, but I do think the girls got a little bit hysterical, to be honest, though. But at one point, they were all absolutely petrified because they were all claiming they were seeing this figure flitting along the hallways and corridors and stuff. Hmm. Did anybody try to engage it? Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> I don't think anybody actually had the courage to do it. Too bad. I know one girl came downstairs screaming one night saying that it had thrown her out of bed, but I really do think that was hysteria. <laughs> she probably just fell out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> now, there were no legends, no particular things you can hang your hat on as to who this might have been. It was just the ghost of the house. That's right, yeah. I mean, I didn't actually know anything about the history of the house. A little bit of history of the street itself. It did take a couple of hits during the Second World War. And a few of the houses were damaged and destroyed, and I think a couple of deaths occurred along there as well. Now, how old was was this particular structure? How old was it? Oh, I'd say from about the 1890s. Okay. So this is not presumably a structure that had been destroyed, obviously. No, no. Now, did this continue uninterrupted until you moved out, or what? Um, I don't believe it did. No, it seemed to just simmer down and settle down. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I only ever saw it the once. The other girls were saying they were seeing it all the time, but I just didn't really know what to make of that at all. And as far as I was concerned, I'd seen it the once, and I was quite happy not to see it again. <laughs> now, did they try to talk to some outside authorities, police, maybe someone in connection with the school or around them, any other people other than themselves? They did mention it to the landlady, and her reaction was just, well, she laughed, basically. She just thought it was funny. Well, how can they think it's funny if they're getting consistent reports about this? I mean, at what point do they... I know. I mean, well, being the angry human that I am, I probably would have asked them. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. what do you think, you know, why do you think this is funny? How many times do you have to hear about it before you say, hey, wait a minute, maybe there's something going on here? This is true. I mean... Yeah. It, it's just odd that people are, are so quick to dispel this stuff. I know. Um, I know. You know, until, of course, they have their own experience, then all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, maybe there is something going on. Exactly. I mean, if I had not had experiences of my own, I'm afraid I think I probably would be one of the people dispelling it. <laughs> now, I'm interested in the level of your curiosity, having 
been a passive observer of this. Did you interact with family, friends, etc., about the things you saw, you encountered, other than, of course, your family when you were very young? Um, a couple of people I've discussed it with, but you tend to get a very bad reaction once you start talking about this kind of subject to people because they... Well, they, they just don't believe you or they just think that you're suffering from some kind of crazy delusion or something like that, which, you know, is a little bit frustrating. No, it doesn't help. Now, do you have any conclusions yourself? And we don't have a lot of time left, so okay. I was going to maybe raise that particular subject here. And I think we're both interested into where your reactions are now. Having obviously been a regular participant in our forums, you must have some ideas as to what you think is causing this. Do you believe in life after death? Do you believe there are ghosts? I really don't know. I mean, I'm not a religious person, so I'm not really sure that we have souls or anything like that. I just don't know what it is. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I feel that a lot of these paranormal phenomena are somehow connected. Don't ask me how, but I think I mean, they, they just... Take ghosts and UFOs for a start. They've got similar characteristics. They just suddenly turn up. So out of the blue, they're just suddenly there. They can just equally suddenly disappear. And there always seems to be some kind of correlation or crossover between these phenomena. People who see one quite often experience another. It's very rare to find somebody who's just seen a UFO or just experienced a ghost, whatever a ghost is. I think there's some kind of link between whatever it is. But apart from that, I really wouldn't like to, you know, try and say, well, it's definitely this, it's definitely that, because I just don't have the, the knowledge or the ability to say that. Do you read a lot of stuff on it in terms of magazine articles, books, etc.? Um, more about the UFO side of things than ghosts, to be honest with you. Much more. And hmm. um, do get a bit frustrated with a lot of the stuff that is written about the UFO subject, because there basically is just so much rubbish out there. <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't agree with you more on that point. <laughs> okay, you, you have kindred spirits here. <laughs> so basically all this interaction, all the infighting, it doesn't help mm -hmm. you figure out what's going on. All it does is just give you a distraction. Exactly. Uh -huh. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's just so annoying to come across these people who say, Yes, it's definitely space brothers from whatever and oh I think oh you know, how can you say that? You don't know. Where's your proof? Yeah. I just think well, the whole field is a mess. <laughs> well, certainly. It seems like a lot of human endeavors today are easily categorizable as messes. Very true. And, and, and one of the things I can, obviously, if you've been listening to the show, you know that I've had a, an entire range of experiences, one of which I'll be talking mm -hmm. about when we do the second hour of the show, um, one that I haven't mm -hmm. talked about yet. But mm -hmm. it, it almost seems as if certain people are, are more sensitive to this than others. And when I say yeah. this, all of the things we're talking about, it's almost as if there's a facility. That, and that's the part that really I find very confusing. Yeah. Also, I mean, I, I don't know if you're the same, but I've always found a reluctance to talk about these things. I'm not quite sure why, whether it's reactions of other people. It's always just the sense that, oh, I shouldn't really be talking about this. <laughs> well, now that's interesting. I mean, you, you, almost, you, you almost feel as if someone doesn't want you talking about it. In a sense, yeah. Whether that's, you know, part of the paranormal phenomenon or whether it's just simply some kind of fear inside me about, you know, getting ridiculed and laughed at. I'm not quite sure where that comes from. But it's always a sense of, oh, you know, I shouldn't talk too much about this. Hmm. 
our listeners may want to know this, and you don't have to give us too much personal information, Shani, mm -hmm. but what sort of work do you do? At the moment, I've actually got health problems, so I'm not in the workplace full-time. I earn a sort of small living from blogging, basically. But I went to law school, I've got a law degree, and I did that quite late, sort of in my mid-30s. Prior hmm. to that, I was just in the customer service business, nothing too sort of wonderful. Hmm. What do you blog about? Uh, all sorts of things, paranormal, anything, local issues. I've got a couple of pet blogs. Uh, yeah, just pets? a very wide range of things. Salamanders? <laughs> no. Ferrets? No, cats and dogs. <laughs> no, 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 not cats and dogs. Like uh, Gila monsters? No. No. No, no barracudas? No, no Komodo dragons, no. No boa constrictors? <laughs> no, no crocodiles either. And you have, I assume, your own dogs and cats? I do, yes. One dog, two cats. Now, did you have pets at the time you had these paranormal experiences? No, I didn't. Okay. Because some people feel that pets are more sensitive to things mm -hmm. than the rest That's of right us now. are. I mean, do you see things in them that show this greater sensitivity at all? I think they can sometimes be aware that something is not right, something is off. Actually, I tell a lie, I did have a cat at the time of the strange figure at the door. Hmm. And did it react in any way to this? I have no idea. I don't think he was at home at the time. <laughs> oh. Well, your cat wasn't at home? Was he out drinking? What are you talking about? <laughs> God, watch out for those like... carousing cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They get to be pretty weird and wicked and wild. <laughs> I have no, absolutely no recollection of what the cat was doing. I think he was probably the least of my concerns at that particular oh. time. All right. <laughs> okay, so no pet reaction. No. Johnny Thomas, we very much appreciate the information you provided and about your experiences and about yeah. your participation on our forums. And we thank you for joining us on the Paracast. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Shani. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack, Attack. of the Rockaways. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg, David Jedney, and I completely, enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with opportunities to stretch out and talk. So what can you say except, you know, the black triangle, I agree, is conventional. The UFO, the apparition in the house she was sharing with other students, you know, who knows? Who knows? I mean... It's always interesting to talk to people who have a wide range of things happening. Um, 
And of course, it's always it, it's always interesting talking to people who are not a you know broadcast type people. Who knows? I mean, uh, you talk to people about these experiences, and I know from my own experiences that. Uh, once you've had more than a couple, it gets to be a little confusing. You start to think, well, you know, why is this happening to me? Is it some kind of a mental illness, mental health issue? Is it something that it's just serendipity, synchronicity? You know, what's this all about? I know that in my own experiences, I've had so many of them that I'm at a point where I, I'm I'm really torn. You know, Gene, I've had personal experiences that are are just mine. I've had shared experiences and. You know, once you have shared experiences, it really changes the dynamics of the whole thing because then you start to understand, all right, it's not just a brain fart. It's not just something my mind is constructing. Once I have another set of eyes on it and they're going, hey, wait a minute, what just happened? That, I think, changes the weight of it in, in one's mind. That's the confirmation. That's the vindication. That's where you see, hey, yeah. other people saw it too. It wasn't just me. That's right. Because it's hard to trust one's own mind. I mean, you know, if you have any idea of how the brain works and how, you know, the optical system works, your auditory system, your, your olfactory system, I mean, any of these things, once you realize that uh, reality is a bit pliable, malleable, then you start to uh, second guess yourself. But, you know, when you have someone else who goes through something with you and you have another mind, another set of eyes uh, to bounce stuff off of and, and to talk about it after the fact. I mean, one of the things that, you know, she said that when she had seen this first UFO, she dove under the covers. You know, I, I actually completely relate to that because of an episode that I will never discuss on the Paracast, ever. I had something happen where I also dove under the covers after the whole thing was over uh, with my heart coming out of my, my chest, just just pounding um, and a bunch of other weird stuff at the time that had been going on but uh, that thing about you know diving under the covers and pulling the covers over your head thinking this will just go away this will, this will not this will, I'll just wake up tomorrow and this will all be over doesn't um, go away maybe really. the act of showing fear attracts the event regardless of what it might be in the second hour of the power cast we're going to hear about another experience or two where David had a second person, a friend of his, witnessed the same event, and I'm not going to set this up for you. Right. David will do it in part two. All I can say is, was this a trip through a time machine? Anybody's guess. <laughs> On part two of the Paracast. I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car. A sleep timer. 
an alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting techbroadcasting.com slash ccrane. That's techbroadcasting.com slash ccrane to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free ccrane catalog. Place your order today. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. Well, Gene, this week, I don't know what overcame me, but I thought maybe it was time to share another personal experience with the audience. And, you know, I might live to regret this one because it, it's a strange one. It's, 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 it's weird, but it's one of those things where uh, my good old friend, Jamie Bauchamp, who went through this experience with me, has agreed to come on the show and to, to talk about it with us. Um, it's one of these things where, as uh, our listeners know, I really try to keep the experiences I talk about to ones that I can have third-party corroboration from. And in this particular case, Jamie was with me for this experience. Really, he's completely integral to the whole thing. Like what I've said on the show before, uh, I don't pretend to have explanations for this. I don't know what happened, but it happened. And uh, I thought it would be interesting to bring Jamie on while he still basically agreed to do this and uh, and to talk about this. And it was it was really strange. And um, so let's start with this. First of all, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate your uh, agreeing to come forward with this, to talk about this on the record. I actually spoke about this experience to some extent on uh, Jeff Ritzman's Second Eclipse podcast. Jamie wasn't there with me for that one. So Jamie's agreed to come on. Jamie, uh, I want to thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Good to be with you. Good to have you here, man. Let's set the stage here. And, uh, you know, we don't we won't, don't want to spend too much time on the setup, but basically um, I met Jamie through my ex-wife, Helene. Jamie knew her through her company in New York City, or a company she worked for, a company called Electronic Directions. And uh, I met Jamie through Helene, and it was one of these things where, you know, Jamie, and, and I'll say this, I actually don't remember exactly when we met. I don't have a clear memory of it. Like a lot of the people who I've gotten very close with in my life, when pressed for details about how we met, um, I know we met through Helene. Do you have a memory of how we met specifically? Actually, I don't have a clear uh, right. memory of it. I know it was through Helene, and uh, I knew about you, mm -hmm. and I was looking forward to meeting you. And I think we probably met at one of your uh, Photoshop seminars. That's very possible. That's certainly possible. Um, it might have been an event at, at Helene's uh, company, Electronic Directions. But um, what ended up happening was that it was one of these things where Jamie and I just totally hit it off. It was like, it's the way I describe it, it's not like you're meeting somebody for the first time. It's more like you're continuing an old friendship, an old conversation. You're sort of picking it up from where it left off. Um, I've had the blessing of having that experience more than once in my life, more than a few times, actually. In the case of meeting you, uh, Jamie, it was just one of these things where I, you know, I, <laughs> it's hard to, to pinpoint it. It's really hard to pinpoint it. But um, we instantly became friends, became pretty tight. And um, so there was this 
yearly. Actually, it was twice a year. It was a show, the Seabolt Seminars, one of the most uh, popular, one of the most visible shows dealing with the electronic publishing industry. And uh, they would happen in San Francisco and in Boston. I think maybe there were one or two that happened in New York City. But typically they happened in Boston and in San Francisco. So um, this took place at a, uh, well, it started, the story starts with the Seabold in Boston, where um, Jamie and I basically went up and, uh, and, and were hanging out at this show. I was speaking at it, doing these uh, sessions, very popular Photoshop classes. And typically I would do like two or three days in a row, solid classes, and uh, they would be very well attended. And um, this was, you know, Jane, it's funny. I've, I've thought about this, and I've actually had a hard time remembering what year this was. I'm guessing it was about a dozen years ago. Does that sound about right? Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. It was like the mid-'90s. I think I think it actually already split up with Helene at that point. It might have been, you know, shortly after that. Though, again, I'm really not sure. See, there – and I want to qualify this for the audience. There are um, – the details of what actually happened are clear. The, the surrounding details, you know, uh, the year, again, it was about a dozen years ago. With the Seabolt seminars, I was at so many of them. I spoke at so many of them. They literally blend together for me. They kind of blur a bit uh, because there are just so many of these things. And as I said, I would basically teach two, three days at a, uh, in a row, which for anybody who's ever attempted that, that would pretty much turn your brain to mush. But I do remember, Jamie, we, we shared a room together at the hotel. I have a very clear memory of that. So here's the setup. Uh, it was um, Friday afternoon. Uh, I taught a full-day Photoshop class. Of course, Jamie was attending the, the Siebel seminars with me and was sitting in on my classes. And I'm guessing, I'm pretty sure, Jamie, that you would have been in on that class as well that Friday. Yes, I was. So um, go ahead. I'm sorry. I drove there. I rented a car. Uh, you were there already. That's right. So you had the rental car. We kept it. It, it was that you valet parked it at the hotel. Right. It was at the hotel. Um, that's right. I had gone up there ahead of time. You had some business stuff going on, some work-related stuff, and you were going to meet me. Like I got up there like a day early, and you were going to come meet me, I think, like a, a day later. Yeah. Something like that. And, and, and the reason I'm actually now pretty sure it was after I broke up with Helene. Helene always came to those things with me. And I was there alone, so that yeah. definitely meant that I was no longer with Helene. We had separated at that point. So that puts it, it's about a, about a dozen years ago, uh, 96, 97. It would have been one of those two years. So um, so Jamie stayed in the room with me. We, we had a great show. I always really enjoyed Seabold. And, um, you know, Jamie and I were just spending a lot of time talking. And, uh, you know, no no light uh, chit-chat kind of stuff. We uh, Our conversations got pretty deep pretty quick. Again, sort of one of those symbols of a very close friendship. and it's um, like being on the same wavelength. Well, that's absolutely true, and I think that's really important for understanding what happened. Um, because ultimately, I think that when, once we get into the meat of it, um, what becomes clear is that this, this dynamic between us seemed to have something to do with what happened. It's as if it facilitated or created the situation by where, you know, this could sort of unfold. Anyway, a few days of classes went down. It's a Friday afternoon, and um, 
basically the idea was that we had checked out of the room, you know, because checkout was, of course, uh, you know, like 11 or 12. It was a full day class of memory serves me correctly. And I think what happened during the lunch break, we went up to the room, pulled our stuff out, took it down and, uh, and basically had our luggage at the concierge desk. It was, it was downstairs. I remember that we had, we had to get out of the Check room. Out. Yeah. yeah. So what happened was, uh, the, the class probably ended, I'm guessing around four thirty, probably. And then, you know, what would happen, I would give these classes, there'd be two, 300 people in the room. And after the class is done, just extricating myself from the classroom ends up being a, a chore because you'd know, be a line of people come up to talk to me, ask me questions, chit chat and so forth. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, those were the days, right, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I was one of those in line too, and I was going to be hanging out later anyway. Yeah, it's kind of it was kind of wacky. Hmm. So what happened was the class was over. I'm guessing we got out of the room at about five o'clock. Now the Seabold seminars took place at this um, this convention center called the Heinz Convention Center. It's downtown Boston. And it's an interesting thing because there's this whole complex. We stayed at the Sheridan, which is the main hotel next to the to the Heinz. But um, there are all these other hotels linked through these uh, sort of walkways that connected all these buildings. These walkways go over um, the streets outside. Basically, the idea is that you can go and stay in any of the hotels connected to this facility. And essentially, you never have to go outside. <laughs> Basically, everything you need. There's a, a Boston uh, legal seafood is in there. God it's almost like some of those larger hotels in Las Vegas. Yes. Okay. Yes. Except sure. this was a bunch of different hotels, and this is like a it's a huge complex. I mean, basically, as I said, you, you've got these walkways, and they probably connect four or five buildings. And there's like three hotels in this complex. I think a Westin is one of them. The Sheridan, where we were staying, that was the main sort of hotel next to the Heinz Convention Center. So. Um, essentially, we had checked out around lunchtime. We knew we were going to drive back to New York, and, and Jamie uh, was in Queens at the time. Are you, do you still live in that same place, Jamie? Uh, I live in the same neighborhood. Okay. On the same block. All right. So, uh, you know, very nice uh, neighborhood in Queens. And um, so the idea was that we were going to you know, drive back. It's a Friday night. But knowing it was a Friday night, first of all, I, I, I was hungry. Uh, you know, you do the class all day, which, cause we checked that. I don't think we stopped and had lunch that day. So I was like, Hey, let's like have some dinner before we go. Mm -hmm. And, um, the best of my recollection, that's what we did. We actually, it, I had this distinct memory of eating in the restaurant downstairs, like in the hotel lobby area. That's right. And I think we, we were also thinking that we would miss the traffic if, if we did that, cause there would be a lot of traffic at that time. That's right, because it's Friday night. I mean, people are basically, Boston is known for its, you know, sort of heinous traffic stuff at any time of the day. On a Friday evening, it's like, oh, man, let's eat. Maybe we'll miss some of the, the rush hour. And uh, so we were eating and talking, and uh, we probably saw one or two people from the class. They were also checking out the hotel, and people stopped by to say hello. It's very nice, kind of a, I have to say, I really miss Seabolts. Um, first of all, they were very lucrative. For me, yeah, they paid me a lot of money to teach at these things. And also, I had these huge classes, so it was a, it was a great thing for my ego. For me, it was a thing where I saw friends. I mean, I got to hang out with Jamie for like two, three days at this thing. And it was uh, it was really a lot of fun. 
And um, so what happened was uh, we, 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 we took our time. We were in no hurry. We ate dinner. We went and got our luggage and uh, went to get the car. And then this would have been around seven o'clock. Now, Jamie, go ahead. You know, I don't want to like hog the conversation here. Uh, please add that, details. This, no, actually, all those uh, details as you retell the story, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. But I'm more clear on, on what happened on the ride back. All right. You- well, we're going to get to that in a minute, though. Man, okay. That's where you're clear, and uh, and honestly, I'm a little less clear about that. Mm. But let's 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 continue with the setup then. Yeah. Um, because what happened was we 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 get the car. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie. Because again, I mean, we didn't really discuss this ahead of time, so I you know I'm going to say things that, that may or may not be accurate. I have a memory of you calling your wife right before we left to actually get on the road. Yes. Is that an I accurate memory? Yeah. Was, so uh, I think we were going to the car when when I called her. So it was it was right before. See, I remember we got the car, and the thing was, you had rented the car, but I told you, and and this is true to this day, I don't make a very good passenger. <laughs> I, I get car sick somewhat easily, and and typically I'm the kind of person who go, hey Jamie, uh, you know, do you mind if I, I like drive? And I remember you were a little little hesitant about it because it was a rental car, but I reminded you I had like a pristine driving record. And so, uh, you, you, I think I had a, I had a coerce you a little bit, but you, 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 you <laughs> not that you, much, not that, not much. that much. Yeah. No, you know, just, uh, I think we're like, drive the car carefully. You didn't want uh, him to speed past 200 miles an hour. Yeah. Well, okay. I don't want to go into that's, this driving technique, but I, before we go into this trip to nowhere. <laughs> okay. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on hand, and he has a special offer for listeners of the Paracast. We are offering six issues for the price of five. Normally, when you send me a subscription for nineteen ninety-five, a new subscription, you get five issues. It's our introductory offer. But just for our friends on the Paracast and friends of Gene and Dave, we're going to throw in an extra issue and give you six issues for the price of five. That's six issues for nineteen ninety-nine, just for you. How do we take advantage of this offer? There are three ways to take advantage of it. One is, if you're online, go to www.ufomag.com. Hit subscribe when you come to the PayPal page. Just put in under item, Paracast Offer, 1995, and I will know that you get six issues for the price of five. Or you could send your check or money order to UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California. That's Ray spelled R-E-Y. California 90295. Put down your name and your address, and on your name and address label, put down Paracast offer. You can also put it on your check for 1995 in your money order. I will know exactly what it means because I'm psychic, and I will credit you with six issues instead of five for that 1995. Or you can call me 
at 1-888-UFO-6242, and I will take your name and address and your credit card and send you six issues for the price of five, and that's how you do it. Hey there, listeners. Have you ever thought about hosting your website? You know where you can actually host your blog or your web page? Well, I'll tell you where to go. Host I can. Host I can. And as a matter of fact, they provide all our hosting too for this site. And guess what? Their price starts at only $7 a month. How could you go wrong? It's reliability and speed speaks for itself. And that's why we're able to provide you with this radio show that you're listening to right now. It's Host I Can. Give them a try. You'll be glad you did. To learn more about Host I Can, Go to this website, techbroadcasting.com. That's techbroadcasting.com slash host. Techbroadcasting.com slash host. And you'll learn more about Host I Can. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. talking to Jamie Beauchamp, a close friend of David's, and they have an odyssey that they encountered, apparently some kind of odyssey that I don't know anything about. And I have to tell everybody that as I sit here, I am learning about this just as you listeners are. Okay? All right? So David said very little about what happened during this episode. So whoever wants to pick it up, Jamie or David, please. Jamie, why don't you go ahead? Because I don't want to hog this conversation. Listeners are okay. probably thinking, let, let your friend talk. Shut up already. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm not as eloquent as you are, but I do remember we get in the car, you start driving, and there was still some traffic out there on the road. And one thing about David is that you can't really coerce him to go faster than the limit. Maybe a little bit faster, but like maybe five miles an hour. Yeah. No, I so, don't speak. <laughs> now hold on, let's 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 step back for a minute because okay, we got we packed stuff into the car, we got into the car, mm-hmm. and again these memories, right? So I remember for some reason looking at the clock in the car, the little LED clock, and I remember it being seven o four. Seven o four, seven o ten. All right, so you remember seven ten? I remember like seven o four. It was just after seven o'clock. That's pretty clear. It, it wasn't seven. It you say seven ten. I I, I remember seven four. So it's right in there, somewhere between seven o four and let's say seven eleven. In that time period, that is when we actually pulled out of the hotel. And like Jamie said, you know, in downtown Boston, there was definitely traffic. So uh, you know, getting out of downtown took a while. And basically, the idea was to get to the highway I ninety five. If I'm is that would that be right, Jamie? That's correct. All right. Now, we sort of, and again, I qualify, you know, I've been teaching all day. We ate a dinner, get in the car, and set out for this drive. So, I mean, we've been talking nonstop for a few days, basically. I (laughs) remember staying up really late and then having, like, problems waking up the next morning because we were, like, up too late yakking away. 
And uh, so now we're driving in the car, and let's let's set a few things up. Jamie just mentioned uh, I do not speed. I'm kind of a of a real stickler for doing the speed limit. I always have been. I'm the guy who drives in the right-hand lane when everybody's like zooming by the left-hand lane, doing 75, 85 in a 55 zone. I'm doing 57 miles an hour with cruise control on. I don't like to speed for a number of reasons. One of them, one of those reasons is that my eyesight is such that I don't have a 3D vision. Now, it's a kind of a strange thing, and we don't need to go into it in any depth in, in, in this show tonight, but essentially, I have to drive very carefully because I don't see depth, essentially. Um, this is a thing in my adult life. This wasn't true when I was younger. This happened maybe in the last 10, 15 years. Actually, it would have been like the last 15 years, because at that time, that was definitely the case. I, I have a thing called uh, fourth muscle palsy in my right eye. I can't converge my eyesight. I don't have proper parallax, which means that essentially my eyes don't line up on a horizontal plane. And so I, I have a very hard time now being in a situation where I can see 3D. I basically don't see 3D. I see everything as two-dimensionally two flat. And my brain sort of um, makes up the difference, as it were. The bottom line is that this keeps it so that I, I don't drive fast. So chances are, I'm guessing we were in the right-hand lane on the highway. I remember the cars passing by and passing by and passing by. So we got into a conversation. Now maybe, Jamie, what I'll do is I'll let you pick this up a little bit, talk a little bit about what you remember about the conversation we were having. Well, we started talking, gosh, we were talking about perception. And this is how it started. We were talking about the fact that our senses are quite limited, and yet here we are in this universe that just extends to who knows where, and everything that we perceive is being limited by by the physical senses. And we just kept talking about that. And it was very interesting because it, it sort of, I remember getting, uh, I don't think the word's excited, but... Um, awakened to this to this thought and and quickened might be might be the word and as it began visualizing like all these wavelengths that we that just exist a universe that exists even if we can't perceive it and it kind of felt it felt like a like a a group contemplation because i felt that we were perceiving the same thing um, not through the physical senses, but you could actually register more reality mentally. So this is a very important point because something that um, Jamie, again, you know, uh, our audience has to has to understand. Like, I don't necessarily talk about the Paracast a lot with my friends. I often this is not a topic that comes up. So this is something that you and I haven't spoken about, and I'll just tell you, we have um, a very close friend of the show. He's basically the unofficial third host at this point is our friend Jeff Ritzman, a guy who's had some very extreme experiences in his life. And uh, he's talked about those experiences extensively on the Paracast, as well as a few other places. One of the things that has come up on the show in talking to Jeff and in my sort of personal conversations, my one-on-one -on -one conversations with him, is that there is this thing that happens when you're kind of thrust into a paranormal experience. There is this, uh, and, and, and Jeff and I 
have sort of dubbed it hyper-reality. It's almost like everything is a little crisper. Everything is, is it's almost as if every you can almost sense stuff vibrating. I mean, it's a, for, for lack of a better way of putting it. It's a heightened awareness. Absolutely. And, and this is not a woo-woo thing. You know, people go, oh, man, they're going to go talk soft with some new age thing. It's like, no, no, no. This is just something that when your brain is stimulated in a certain way, and I, I suspect that anybody who's listening to this has probably had an experience reminiscent of this, where basically you, your brain seems sharper, your senses seem more attuned. It's funny how you, you said the quickening, right? Because that's, that's mm-hmm. an interesting way of putting it. And I think it's probably fairly appropriate. This, it's like a, it's, it's an extra level of stimulation. And it's, you know, where you find that, this is going to sound woo-woo-y, but I'll go for it anyway. Instead of having a conversation, you are the conversation. It's very, it's kind of an immersed thing. And here's the thing, Gene, this is all going on. And, you know, basically at that point, I'm sort of driving on autopilot. You know, my eyes see the road, my, my brain is taking note of what's going on. But I have to say, I was definitely more immersed in the conversation than in the driving. And the other part of that is that the uh, New York to Boston and Boston to New York drive is something I've done more than a few times. You know, Macworld Expos for many years went on in Boston. All those years I lived in New York, there was always Macworld Expo up in Boston uh, in the summer, and I went to every one of those. I drive up with various friends of mine, my buddy Joe Pavone, my buddy David Shargell. Anyway, the point is I, I drove up to a number of these, and so, you know, getting in the car and driving to Boston from New York and then driving back, is something I've done a lot of times. Now, I just want to drop something here so that listeners understand. Now, people might say, you know, he had a couple of drinks maybe, and that's Mm -hmm. not what happened. No. Um, No. Don't drink alcohol. Uh, And, again, we were coming off of uh, being in class all day and having eaten dinner. Okay. Um, No, I don't pretty much don't touch alcohol. Um, So, no. Yeah, we were very sober. We were stimulated. I mean, the conversation uh, was was pretty intense. And it's one of those things, you know, I I trust Jamie. And so we, this conversation had no bounds on it. It just basically, there were no boundaries. It was just unrestrained and it got, it got pretty deep. It got pretty intense. And, um, go ahead. What's interesting was that it wasn't just talking. It was more like experiencing you know, the the same thing that you're talking about, sensing it, yeah. it just became, like, so real. It it got weird. There was a weird air in the car. It just, it was one of these things where it, it was yeah. unusual. Like there was a charge in the air. Right? There was something yeah. going on. And, and I you know, in retrospect, uh, and I've thought about it, well, you know, I actually, well, we haven't gotten to the end of the conversation, of the story yet, but, I mean, at the time, this was a, uh, such an unusual thing that ended up happening. I thought about it, you know, probably for two months after that. I, I broke my head trying to understand what the hell happened. And I just, just got to no kind of closure about it. And to this day, I mean, basically, uh, well, we haven't gotten to the punchline yet, but I can't say that I know what happened. But let's continue on with this because we're probably at the audience going, well, what are they talking about? Opening the door to the unknown. 
episodes of Erie Radio directly from iTunes or visit their website at www.erieradio.com. Hi, this is Timothy Green Beckley, otherwise known as Mr. UFO, reporting live for the Conspiracy Journal. And we have a special offer to the listeners of the Paracast. Want to receive our publications for free? Conspiracy Journal and Bizarre Bizarre sent to you via snail mail. And all you have to do is email me at MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MRUFO at WebTV.net. And we'll send you two of the most exciting publications. But we do need your actual address because these are physical publications. And you'll enjoy all the latest articles by some of the leading researchers in the field, as well as up-to-date information on the latest book and videos, and it's all for free. Or drop us a line, Mr. UFO at webtv.net. Hey, this is Jeff Richman. You're listening to David Biedney and Gene Steinberg on the Paracast. And just between you and me, I think these guys are a cult, so keep your eye on them. I'll tell you what, let's do the cliffhanger first, because we have Jamie Beauchamp helping David to recall a strange trip from Boston to New York. So here we are. We're talking in the car. For whatever reason, and I can't say that I know why, I never looked at the clock. For whatever reason, I never took note of the clock. So it's, you know, standard car with the LED clock right on the dashboard. Usually I'm the kind of person I'm always looking, you know, I'm kind of like always scanning, always scanning the rearview mirror, always scanning the side mirrors, you know, always just, just, just being aware of what's going on in my surroundings, especially when I'm driving. This is a thing I'm, I'm, I'm very specific about. But for some reason, and again, I, I don't know why, I never looked at the clock. And as far as I know, Jamie, you didn't either because no, you would have said all. something. Right. You know, we were just kind of like in this conversation, deeply into this. And in the moment. In the moment. Well put. In the moment. Very much in the moment. Yeah. So we we start to get into the New York area, and there are certain landmarks that you can see, and you know things start the the environment changes a little bit. Sort of at that point, uh, I started paying a little more attention to the road. Still didn't look at the clock, and uh, you were kind of giving me some directions for where to go in Queens because typically I would have driven either down into Westchester where my friend Joe was, or down into Manhattan or directly to Brooklyn where I used to live. And I'll qualify this. At the time, I was not living in the New York area in 1996, 97 when this happened. I was living in California at that point. And I would come out to the East Coast for Seabold. And I would typically stay for like a month. I would take advantage of the fact they were flying me out. And so I would stick around. And I would, depending on, you know, when, what time of the year I was coming and where I was ultimately going to end up, I would stay with different friends. What's kind of weird about that particular trip is I actually don't have a clear memory of where I was staying afterwards. I think it was over at my friend Scott's in the city, but I, I'm not sure, not exactly sure of where I went afterwards. But let, let's, let's, let's get back to the main story because it was once we were in Queens and I, we were like blocks away from your house. We were close to your place. And it was at that point that I remember glancing at the clock. And that's when everything turned upside down. That's when the bleep hit the fan, as they say, because it was just after nine. And this is where the story is just bizarre. 
it was just, it was just minutes after nine o'clock. And I remember looking at the clock and I was like, Jamie, what time is it? Jamie, what time was it? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I just thought there was something wrong with that clock. Right. That's what we both thought. Now, did you remind me, did you have a wristwatch at the time? Did you wear a watch? No. Neither do I. For reasons I will not reveal on this show, I don't wear watches. I haven't worn watches since I was a kid. Actually, I sort of can't. But we're not going to... We shouldn't even open up that particular can of worms. Um, you might have opened it a little bit, but I won't ask. Well, you know, what the hell? We're telling weird stories. When I first met Helene, the very first time it was one of these things, I went to go pick up Helene for our second date, and I never left her place. I started living with her, like, then. We never went on a second date. We had a first date. It's really cute. It was a long, cute story, very romantic. Second date, I never left her place. I just moved right in with her. It was just, like, weird, but that's how it happened. But Helene had, uh, next to her bed, she had, like, this window screen with all of these watches hanging on it. Um, it was, like, she had, a, like, a typical window screen that fits in a, into a window, but she had it, like, inside against the window, and she hung these watches of her. She has, she had a wristwatch collection, basically. And I looked over at these things, and, and I knew I knew that I was going to have to say this to Helene. I said, hey, um, Helene, uh, those watches, you might want to move those. She looked at me, she said, what? I said, you probably just want to like move those like away from like where we are, because I don't want anything to happen to them. She looked at me, she said, like, what are you talking about? I said, I, I don't want to there's a thing with me and watches. It's not good. You know, and I realized I'm going to regret even going into this story now. More more than I'm going to regret talking about this experience, because now people are going to want me to get Helene on the show to confirm this stuff. Just bottom line is I can't wear watches. And for a long time, if anybody had watches and they would wear them around me, they, the watches would simply stop working. And I have absolutely no explanation for this. I just I just know it. And, and I, I destroyed a bunch of watches. And my former assistant decided to put this to the test with a Russian submarine captain's watch. His girlfriend got him, and I froze that one up, too. But that's really, you know what, we don't need to talk about that. Now, there I went and said it, I stop watches. I don't know what the hell it means. But um, I don't wear a watch. So Jamie didn't have a watch. I didn't have a watch. We had the clock in the car. And the clock in the car said it was like minutes after nine, maybe nine. I don't know what time it was. It was just moments. It was just like a few minutes after nine o'clock. I'm now, just sure that there was a problem with the, with that right. clock. Yeah, because it's a rental car. I figured, what the yeah. hell, you know, maybe the clock is just wrong. Now, at the same time, though, we looked at the clock when we left Boston. It was just a little after seven. You know, if the clock was bad, well, we haven't gotten to the end of the story yet. So, you know, I'm looking at this, and, and I have to say, when I looked at the clock, like, I just, uh, my heart, like, missed a beat. My blood froze a little bit. I, I, I was a little freaked out by it. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was like, wait a minute. This is wrong. Because as anybody knows who's ever driven from Boston to New York, it's a little over a four-hour drive. And that's if traffic is good. I've done that's that right. trip. I've done that trip a that's number right. of times. From Boston, from Macworld Expo, not the Sea Bowl. I never went to a Sea Bowl. But from Macworld Expo, I was in Boston, back to New York City. Always yeah. over four hours. Over four hours. Maybe four hours and right, four and a quarter, maybe... Four and a half with traffic. We, we, we hit traffic leaving Boston. Yeah. So it took us a while to get out of downtown, right? Uh-huh. So here we are, and we're in Queens, and it's a little after nine. 
And I'm like, I'm just like freaking out because, and, and I want to, you know, qualify. Yeah. Did you think that you ruined that clock too? Hmm. You know, it's interesting you say that. Um, no, that never crossed my mind because it was always wristwatches. Uh, it was always wristwatches. Yeah, no, I, you know what? That never even crossed my mind then because that was a, a, a clock in the dashboard of the car. Um, most of my problems were with um, with analog clocks, though. It's a problem with digital clocks, too, but it was really analog mechanisms that seemed to just uh, have a problem with. But no, I never thought of that. I, I just remember the feeling when I, when, I, you know, it's like that moment I looked at the clock. It's some, and it's the green LED. I mean, I remember this like really. I remember that vividly, looking at the clock, thinking, "What the hell?" And I'd never had any kind of an experience that prepared me for that. I've never undergone anything like that, so I, I didn't know what to think. I, I got somewhat irate. I mean, I was really perturbed by this. I didn't know what the hell was going on, and. And I remember Jamie saying to you, well, you know what? Maybe the clock in the car is bad. And, uh, you know, go upstairs. So go go see your wife. We pulled up in front of your place. I said, go find your wife and see what time it is. Yeah. She was surprised to see us. She was yeah, she came down. She came down. I, I went upstairs, and, and, I, and I saw the time. And that's when it got weird for me. Mm. Because up to that point, I just... Assume there was something wrong with, the, with that clock. I mean, I had a, a great experience driving with you, but uh, it was at that point that she came down and she was like totally surprised. So when you thought the time was flying, you didn't think it was soaring. It's <laughs> <laughs> taking us along with it. <laughs> well, you know what? What hits me as I listen to this, guys, is that normally we hear about missing time. Suddenly you're on a trip and you see that. When you get to your destination, you've added several hours to the trip, maybe two hours, three hours. Now you're cutting the trip in half. Yeah. yeah. Time dilation. Now, now again, uh, our friend Jeff Ritzman, uh, in the stories he's told on the Paracast, has told a story about basically ending up very far from where he was supposed to be in a relatively short amount of time. And people have compared that too because when i was on jeff's show and i talked about this he got some email people saying it sounds like you guys had a similar experience it wasn't really similar in that jeff ended up very far away from here where he was supposed to be we ended up exactly where he's supposed to be except in half the time and i think it's important to underscore certain things here people might think well gee were you like speeding and the answer is no i don't speed i I just don't speed i don't drive fast and you have to be going like 120 miles an hour well, yeah. How about how much for the he obeys the speed limit? Well, much. yeah, something like that. You would have been caught. No one's going to let you do that for two hours without getting caught. Yeah, okay. this wouldn't happen. Sure. So you know, we were going normal speed. The thing that Jamie brings out, that what he points out, which is I think really valid here, is that this conversation we had it changed our framework. It, it's as if. I don't know. I mean, of course, any discussion of this at this point is really speculation. This happened a while ago. And I, it's weird to talk about it. And, and this is the, the thing that I think it's hard maybe for people to understand. Anybody who's been through a paranormal experience knows this feeling where you you go through something and your brain is telling you there's just no way. And I think at this point, people who listen to the Paracast have a sense that, you know, I can be wacky guy. Okay, but 
At the same time, when it comes to these topics, I can get very, very serious about this and get very rational about it. And you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm my own harshest critic much of the time. It's funny when I see people put feedback about the Paracast on places like iTunes and they talk about how full of myself I am, how so sure I am of everything. And it's like, I wonder, are they listening to the same show that we're doing? Who is that guy? I mean, we, this is the kind of show, you know, where we say we don't know. And that maybe yeah. separates us from other radio shows. The fact is some of these shows just take everything. They accept everything. Everything is real. Everything, gosh, golly, gee whiz. And we'd look at things to say, hey, that's weird, but we need to understand it. Why is this happening? We have no idea what's Actually, going on. That, that's exactly what. David and I were doing, we, we were sort of taking a look at, at reality, the way it appears and the way that we know it scientifically is, and and we were wondering, and we were sort of like a little bit awed by it, but it, it wasn't like we were um, experiencing anything religious or metaphysical or anything like that. We were just talking about science and, and how vast the universe is and limitations that we have to apprehend it, you know, with the equipment that we have, but at the same time that you can apprehend it mentally. And that kind of freed us from, from the context of being in a car. And it was it was kind of interesting because I kind of felt like the both of us thinking along this line together, it kind of had like a multiplying effect on my consciousness. It was like, you know, when, when you take, I don't know, let's say, uh, a figure like millions, I mean, I, I can't tell you what a million of anything looks like, but I can do the math and multiply it and divide it and, and handle it consciously. And we're kind of doing that. And I don't even know where I'm going with this, guys. Well, it's but. setting the framework for what happened. I mean, basically, we, we ended up in this very deep discussion about the perception of reality, and the discussion altered our reality. I mean, one of the things, and people talk about this all the time, you know, quantum physics, like there's this idea that, you know, you manipulate reality in a way where reality conforms to your expectations of it. And, you know, there people misunderstand this in many ways. It really comes down to uh, this idea that, for example, light changes whether or not it's behaving as a particle or as a wave based on the observer's almost expectation. It's almost as if the person who's making the observation about what state the light is in is influencing what the light's going to do. And so people interpret this as our intention somehow doesn't just change our perception of what is, it changes what is. And, you know, maybe there's a possibility at that point that you can put all of this into a feedback loop. And maybe that's exactly what People who, for example, are, um, you know, you look at some of these uh, fakirs, these, uh, these guys who put themselves into a trance and can have the most insane things done to them, you know, have huge hooks put through them or literally have nails pounded into them and, like, they don't even feel it. Um, it's almost as if they have such an incredible control over matter with their minds that they can change the physical environment they're in by focusing on it. It seems like... And again, I don't know what happened to us, but it seems like that might have been what happened. You know, we have this discussion about the nature of perception and reality, 
and between the two of us created some kind of a feedback loop that literally changed our reality. And, and, right, but, but not in a subtle way. I mean, to go from a four-hour trip to a two-hour trip, and it was like it was like probably a little under two hours, that's not subtle. And, and it also left no room for misinterpretation. It's like, oh, well, you know, maybe it took us a little less time. No, it took us half the amount of time. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack, attack. Of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockaway, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Fate Magazine is proud to be celebrating its 60th anniversary and its 700th issue. That's 60 years of bringing you true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. It's bigger and better than ever. Subscribe now by calling 1-800-728-2730 or online at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. We want to hear from you. If you comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. We are talking to David and Jamie Beauchamp, a longtime friend, about half a trip <laughs> or a four-hour <laughs> trip taking two hours. And uh, maybe I wanted to just kind of put some more background material here. So you were talking about the nature of reality, things like that, and then this happens. Now, after you perceive this, over the next few weeks as maybe you were coming down from this high or recovering from what happened, did you perceive or have any other experiences that you thought might be paranormal? I'm ask Jamie first. Before you even started this, had you ever had a paranormal experience? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the word paranormal. It, it implies that to me anyway that, that something is like breaking natural law. Well, something that you just couldn't explain that didn't seem to fit in with what your perceptions of normal, everyday reality might be. Well, I guess that, yeah, but not, not to that extent. 
extent. You know, for example, well, I have experienced things that were, were unusual, and I don't know if I would label them paranormal. You know, I've plenty of things like, you know, knowing that somebody's going to call you at that instant that they're right before the phone rings, things like that, you know, or, or having a strong hunch that something's going to happen, having it turn out. Uh, or there was one time where I was, I lived in the Bronx and I was running late to a gig that I wanted to see. I got on the train and the trip usually takes an hour and it took half an hour. Now, I wasn't doing anything weird or all I did was when I got on the train, I was kind of upset that I was going to be late and I just stilled my thought. And when I got to the gig, I made it on time. I made a one-hour trip in half an hour. I can't explain that. I don't know. Every now and then I'll come up with a theory, but it's, it's, it's just a theory. I don't really understand it. But to me, it, it's it, natural law can't be broken. It either exists or, or it doesn't. So maybe it's part of, uh, of something larger, and sometimes we tap into it. And the local rules or laws uh, don't apply. Well, now you know when you, when you say that, though, I think people people get concerned about stuff like that because as human beings, we need to understand everything. You know, when we, it, I think it ends up being an issue of control. You know, you, we humans want to think they're in control of everything, and the minute they sense that they don't have that control, uh, they get a little out of control. Well, that's, that's uh, true, but that kind of leads to dogma, because if, if you need to explain everything that, that happens in your life... Yeah, I think that there's, there's a tendency. I don't think people ultimately can. Uh-huh. But it's kind of like the, the whole issue of control. People feel like they have to control the reality. And people go to ridiculous lengths to have that type of control. And if they don't have it, they like they lose they lose their minds a little bit. I mean, I've seen this happen. I'm not saying that everybody's like that, but... I think for, for a lot of people, probably a majority defined as 51% or more of all the people on the earth, um, there is this drive to have some degree of control over their lives. Or the I think that's of the, it. Well, uh, 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 absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and then, and if they can't have the control, they like to think there's some, you know, uh, omnipotent being that looks over them that will... Uh, either give them the control that they don't have or take control for them and make sure good things happen for them. But ultimately, I think people get think of a completely entropic, chaotic universe, and and that brings up every little human insecurity that exists. Yeah. I, I mean, I just I, I just think that people tend towards that, even though um, it's, it's a generalization, it's not everybody. But I think there's a tendency towards that, and... And so when you have these kinds of experiences, what ends up happening is that there's this really sharp slap in the face that says, you don't have control. Not only do you not have control, not only do you not control the game, you don't even know what the board looks like. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what I came away with. I mean, you know, Gene, when you asked Jamie before, you know, how did this affect him for the weeks afterwards? I mean, I can tell you that from my point of view, it bugged the hell out of me. Uh, and, and this is, uh, people, I've had now people say to me, oh, you're so blessed to have had these experiences that you've had. <laughs> well, I remember uh, over the months after that uh, calling you and 
actually you calling me sort of like, did that really happen? Yeah. <laughs> it was still, it was still like so jarring. Yeah. And that that made me realize that that you know a lot of the theories that I had about the nature of reality it's just some theories, and I can't really explain it. Right. Uh, but what's interesting is that I'm okay with that. I don't have to understand everything. I mean, I understand the things I need to to get around day to day and you know live a good life, but. I, I don't understand the whole universe. I'm in awe of it, and I want to understand more and more each day. Actually, it's a source of joy to to think about these things, but I don't need to be in, to feel that I'm in control of everything and that I understand everything, because I, I think it's a little presumptuous to do that. Let me ask you a question, which may be a personal question, but you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. What do you do for a living in the real world as opposed to the... Uh, somewhat unreal world. <laughs> well, I, I work for a major uh, news magazine, um, and I produce video and podcasts. Okay. He's one of us, Gene. That's right. <laughs> okay, well, now that you've shared your experience with us, yes, you are more than one of us. <laughs> You're very thoroughly immersed in this. Now, you had nothing. No, no, no. Now, hold in hold addition... Hold no, no, no. Before you do that, I have to do the... I have to do the one of us, one of us from Freaks. I had to do it. I'm sorry, Gene. You set it up, so I had to take it. Sorry. Okay, one well. All right, I did it. I'm, I'm feeling better now. Okay. Thank you, David. And next week we'll try a different voice. But in any case, now, in addition to the train trip that took it was twice as fast, kind of like this, anything else in your life that you can remember, maybe something as a child that just didn't seem quite regular, you know, this is what's interesting is that I've had plenty of experiences that, that are strange, and yet I don't feel comfortable talking about all of them right now. You well, know, that's, not guess, that's not a problem. That's not Because they're very sure. personal. Sure. Yeah, I, I had no idea, Jamie, that uh, Gene was going to try to put you on the spot here. It's terrible, Gene. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I don't feel like I'm on the spot, but it, it's, okay. it's interesting. It's sort of that there's a resistance within me to talk about them, maybe because I, I'm not prepared. And so when I try to summon them, I'm drawing a blank. Okay. That's no problem. We're not forcing you. David has hinted to us rather broadly. He has other things in his life that he has not shared with us yet. And when it is time and he feels that time is right, if it's right, then he'll share them as he's doing with this particular episode involving you today. And if he decides that, you know what, I'm going to keep that to myself, that's fine too. Well, I'll go on record right now and say that uh, there's a 99.9% .9 chance that this will actually be the last personal experience I talk about on the show. Um, I think it's actually extremely unlikely I'll talk about any others. For the primary reason, like I, I said at the start of this episode, was that uh, I, I'm very hesitant to talk about situations, experiences, where I don't have a corroborating witness to come on and talk about them. You know, we've had my brother on. We had my friend Bill on. Uh, Jamie has been very gracious in agreeing to come on the show and talk about this. But I think this will bring to a close my discussion of my paranormal experiences. One, as I said, because I don't have, in many cases, corroborating uh, witnesses for the others. And B, I consider this experience and a couple of the others I've spoken about to be my most, how do I put this, palatable my most mainstream 
worthy experiences. Um, from here, it sort of goes off into some very odd stuff that I honestly, truly don't think I'll ever be comfortable talking about. I, I reserve the right to change my mind at any time, but I have to say, I, I think it's pretty unlikely. You know, like bringing up the thing with the watches, um, I could probably have my former assistant, Nathan, come on the show and talk about what he experienced with that, but I don't think I'd put him on the spot. I don't think I'd make him do that or even ask him to do that. What I'm interested so, here is other people who have had similar experiences with the watches, people who just put watches <laughs> out of yeah. their mercy, people yeah. who have this kind of reverse time feature where the trip doesn't take longer, it takes less time. Now, that's something fairly new to me because we're used to the missing time incidents with regard to UFOs and things that happen. But here we have something where the trip is accelerated, the travel yeah. is accelerated, and that is really a new one on me. I've always heard the reverse, but not this kind of trip. And I've gone on some trips, I have to tell you, in different parts of the country where I wish the four-hour trip would take two hours or the seven-hour trip would take three and a half. wish it would happen. But <laughs> it doesn't happen to me. These things don't happen to me. And I don't know whether it's lucky or unlucky to be put in that particular position. But in the end, I think I would probably be pleased to say it hasn't happened to me because if it did, you know, I then have to come to terms with what all this stuff is about. And right now on the show, I'm learning about what happens to other people and hoping that maybe in sharing that information, we could all come to some kind of understanding. So as we wrap up this hour, David, have you come out with anything? Have you read of any other incidents like this? No, the closest I've, uh, I've really come to this is talking to Jeff about his, uh, his weird little um, Ohio detour. I don't know that I've ever heard of another experience really close to this one. I, honestly, Gene, I can't say I've really searched and uh, you know, I, I I'm at a loss. I, I'm at a real loss. It, 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 from, of all of my experiences, I mean, I can I can look at certain experiences and think, okay, they had a certain meaning, um, or there was a message. This one, I'm not as sure about. Like Jamie said, I think that if anything, perhaps what this was was really almost like the lab version of a theoretical class. You know, we're here, as Jamie pointed out, we're talking about these issues of perception and reality and by doing that by having this kind of really intense conversation where there was a huge degree of resonance inside of the the car i mean it was just a really you know the air was charged when we were having this talk yeah maybe the whole point of it was to show us that this could be done maybe that was the whole point it was just like look here this happened, and it happened in a way that's not very subtle, so you have to take notice of it and just know that this is possible. I think if, if there's any one message I take away from that experience, th that would be it. That, and that, that's really, that is all. I don't know what else to do with this, and I'm always really interested to know what our listeners think about this and what insights they have into this. So, you know, if you guys who are listening to this think that you, you have an understanding or an idea about what this might have been, you know, I would love, I would love to hear about your thoughts about this. And of course, we have the PowerCast forums at forum 
www.theparacast.com where you can post your points of view. Jamie Beauchamp, I'm so glad to meet you. So glad to hear about what happened. Thanks for joining us this week on the Paracast. It was a good talk to you guys. Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate you coming forward, man. Thank you. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.